It is finished. There is nothing else that needs to be done. And we can accept what Christ has done on that tree in faith and serve him through his enabling. And that really is part of what we're looking at this morning as we continue. Now, I know I switched it up on you a little bit. You may say, Pastor Brock, we talked about, we started the worship series last week. And now we're back to the Gospel of John. Well, that isn't a haphazard here. Uh, it is because the message, not surprisingly, in, gospel, in the Gospel of John just fit the communion service better. So tonight we'll have the worship service or the uh, worship series. And uh, I know a little bit of flexibility is good, right? And I know that you'll be fine with that. So I'm looking forward to this this morning out of John 14. As Jesus is imparting to his followers, his disciples, some very important things that they need to be aware of because they really have no idea about what they're to face. Now, Jesus does. And Jesus knows they're about ready to go through the most difficult times in their lives, literally, as he is taken from them, as he will be sacrificed on a cruel cross. But then in his death, that three days later, later he would rise again. They had no, have no knowledge of this. And to get them through this, there are things that they need to understand. They need to understand the sin that's in their own hearts they're going to struggle with. They need to understand that in the midst of this, that there is hope through their relationship with Jesus, that he will not abandon them, even though physically he will not be with them. But you have to admit, this, is, this had to be difficult for them. They've had a wonderful meal. They've had this wonderful example of Jesus serving them by washing their feet and then him calling for them to serve others in the same way, um, humbly, in whatever God would ask for them to do. But then this whole thing with, with Judas and Jesus announcing that there'd be a betrayer, and John, the beloved apostle, asking Jesus, Jesus making it clear to John as he gave the sop to Judas, who it was. And so now John, the other apostles, the other apostles, the other disciples still don't know who the betrayer is, except for it seems like John, the beloved disciple, knows at this point that had to be disturbing for him to this, this man that they had trusted with the finances and trusted ex explicitly in many regards, ends up being the betrayer and leaves in, as we mentioned last week, in the outer darkness for all eternity. Sobering indeed in this. Jesus um, is troubled as well because of what he's about to face. Peter has just been told in the midst of his um, maybe slightly arrogant declaration that he will be faithful to Jesus forever. Um, Jesus gently rebukes Peter and says, actually, Peter, there's going to come a time very soon where you're going to deny me. So Peter is certainly troubled about that. And then all of these disciples are concerned because Jesus has just said that he is going to go away. And that wasn't part of the deal. That wasn't part of the plan for them. They weren't expecting that. They thought that they'd be together with him always. It was extremely disturbing to hear that he would leave them. They expected that he would establish his earthly kingdom and they would reign with him, right? That's part of the why they're always arguing over who's the greatest. They want to be uh, greatest in his kingdom. 
And yet soon they would experience a separation from him that literally folks would shake them to their core. And they're facing all of this. So these men don't misunderstand. They are truly troubled. And Jesus will now lovingly provide the encouragement that will keep them together in his absence. How do you encourage men that are this troubled? Well, let's look at the first few verses here, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Father, as believers in Christ, we know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And even in this passage this morning, we will have that declared before us. Father, let us be inspired and motivated through this and through our remembrance of communion this morning to be faithful in our gospel witness that as we see at the end of this passage that Jesus promises us to be with us and enable us to do the greater work of gospel ministry to see that literally go around the world and see people saved that power is still with us today help us not to be troubled in whatever we face today but help us to be dependent on Jesus and empowered for the work that he's called us to do and do so confidently and joyfully. May we be reminded of that through the passage this morning. And in this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' way and his work. We're going to see, first of all, in the first seven verses, eternal life with the Father comes only by the way of the Son. And in the midst of the troubles that his followers, his disciples are facing, Jesus encourages them that the way of the Son leads to an eternal dwelling. He knows they're troubled. And in the midst of his own troubled spirit, at the betrayal that Judas would soon um, be involved in before him, and his own death, Jesus reminds them of the hope. And maybe in a way that they had not understood before presents wonderful encouragement that his leaving of them is purposeful. He's not just going to abandon them without reason. It is, there is a purpose here, and that is to provide them greater blessings that will be with them for all eternity. And so in that is their encouragement. This should encourage them to deeper faith as they understand this. And folks, these promises are true for us as well followers today, when we are troubled, remember these words that Jesus says. These are for us to let not your heart be troubled. That is that deep sense of strife and turmoil that sometimes comes up within us when we face difficulties that maybe we weren't expecting, or maybe that are so painful that it's just so hard. We think the waves of difficulty will overwhelm us. In the midst of this, Jesus says, no, You don't have to be overwhelmed by trouble. He's not going to take all the trouble away from us in this life. He says, you can have peace and hope. And it comes through our faith 
in God and our faith in Christ. Folks, when trouble comes, what do we do? We trust and depend upon God, right? No matter what that trouble is, no matter how difficulty we don't. First thing, many times we try to do is fix it ourselves and try to come up with our own way to handle things. And Jesus says, no, when that trouble comes, remember, have faith. Faith in God, but what does that also mean? You must believe in God, but that also means we must believe in Christ. The two go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. Means they must trust Jesus and what he is saying to them, because what he's going to say next is going to beyond, really be beyond what they can even fathom at this point as he continues to describe the relationship that he has with the Father. He says, your faith in God, but also have faith in me and what I'm telling to you. My words are important. You need to believe them. I will prepare a future dwelling place for you with my Father. That is guaranteed, disciples. And I need to go away to be able to do that. Verse two, right? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He needs to emphasize what he's saying here in their moment of trouble. Yes, it really is true. I'm going away, going away for your benefit. And there's many more benefits that he's going to describe of his going away that he will will continue to look at in the upcoming weeks. But this in particular, that he has a place for us. Now, I hope that I don't dash some of your um, past understanding of this passage. And I don't know if you've ever read this. In my father's house are many mansions. And one of your motivations is that Jesus is, all, is going to be making all of us this beautiful mansion on a hill with hundreds of rooms and maybe a beautiful staircase with a chandelier or whatever comes into your mind when you think mansion, all right? That's actually in the Greek word that was originally translated mansion or something like it in the Latin, a word for for mansion from the Vulgate, and it kind of stuck for a long time. In the Greek, it really just means place, a place for you, in my father's house. Now, if you think, wait a minute, Pastor Brock, there's a whole lot of difference from a mansion to it sounds like what well, you're describing some sort of apartment in my father's house. That's not at all what I was. I was hoping for a lot more. Well, folks, trust Jesus, okay? Even an apartment has to be an incredibly wonderful place, wonderful place or apartment if Jesus is making it for you. You can trust him. You're going to enjoy it, all right? Whatever this is, but it's a place for us in his father's house. And here, as he's telling the disciples, I have to leave, but you have a place with God. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. If it were not so, I would not be telling you this. He's saying, I wouldn't be giving you false hopes. You know me. You know my love for you. I don't do that. And so they will have a place in his father's dwelling place, but he needs to leave to make preparations for them. And then the logical assumption is, of course, that if he's preparing a place for them, he's going to return and bring them back and show them the place that he has prepared for them, right? And so he makes that very clear. Um, I will, if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
trust me and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then he throws this then, and he throws this into the mix. And whether I go, where I go, ye know, and the way ye know. I'm sure the disciples looked at this and thought, well, wait a minute. You've just sprung on us the fact that you're leaving. We, we don't really know what you're talking about, Jesus. And Thomas is going to bring that up in just a minute. One commentator, Leon Morris, said, Jesus is engaged on some activity for us that will pass our comprehension. Whatever Jesus is doing right now in regards to what he's preparing for us, folks, you can count on the fact it'll be beyond your comprehension beyond what you could even imagine. So trust Jesus in that. I remember when we first came here, and you guys remember the process of looking for a home. And we were looking for a beginning for a rental home, for a place where we could have room for Leslie to homeschool and for my office and all these things. And, uh, you know, the Wetzels graciously allowed us to stay at their place, right? But we were looking for that place. And finally, um, after looking at a number of different areas, the Lord provided this home in Kentuckook near downtown. And one of the things that was exciting for Arden in particular, who had always had to share a room with Luke, not that Luke's a bad person to share a room with, um, but he was excited about having his own room and that was going to work out. And so we were going around, we were showing the boys where the rooms were. We took Arden to his room and it was his own place. But the only problem was, the people that had lived there many years before had decided that a lovely lime green or mint green, like almost think fluorescent, like, whoa, you don't even need a light bulb when you walk into this room, would be a great color coordination for the room and then handprints all over the, the closet. And so I think Arden was pretty gracious, but we said, don't worry, son, pretty soon we'll, we'll change this. We got permission to paint and it wasn't too long where we got, we, we worked over, Leslie looked at, and she decided the colors that would look best. Um, and so we bought the paint. And thankfully, I had some help with Carol and Pam as well, expert room painters. I highly recommend them. And we got together to paint this room. And it, it took some work, and well, but we enjoyed the fellowship together. And it was so nice to see that nasty lime green color just slowly disappear. And we were preparing this room to make it much more enjoyable and livable for Arden to be in. And, you know, being a dad, of course, I did leave a spot that I left with the green to always remind him of what this used to be. And uh, I just thought, you know, just to, just to help him be even more grateful and thankful for all the work that we had done. Now, we really wanted to get rid of that lime green color. Honestly, when I walked in that room, I'm like, we got to get rid of this right away. That was important to me. But folks, the number one reason, the number one thing that was important to me was because, and Leslie, and Carol and Pam, was because we loved Arden, and we cared about him, and we wanted to prepare for him a nice place to be able to reside in, to be able to sleep in. And Jesus is really, that's the hope, the ultimate hope that he's giving here is that, man, I love you enough. When I leave, it's for your benefit. And that's why I'm preparing a place for you. The love of Jesus is emphasized here in preparation of an eternal dwelling. Now, next, he's going to show that the way of the son leads to eternal life. 
And that's where he says, whether I go, you know, and the way, you know, and you know, Thomas, Thomas is a little bit like Peter, maybe not quite so vocal, but when he has something on his mind, he just states it. He doesn't beat around the bush. And Thomas verse five saith unto him, Lord, wait a minute. We, we really don't know whether thou goest. We really don't understand. And, and how can we know the way we want to follow you? And if you don't tell us where you're going and we really don't understand. Have you ever had experience where you're trying to get directions? Now, I know we have GPS today and our iPhones and everything, but every so often I've had the experience where my iPhone dies because of lack of power source. And I've actually recently had to stop and ask for directions. I haven't had to do that in years. And then trying to remember the directions because I'm not used to remembering those. And thankfully it worked out okay. But if you're really, if you ask for directions from somebody and you're really hanging on the directions, the information they're giving you, and they start to walk off and you're like, wait, wait a minute. I, I don't quite have all those details now. If you just wait one more second, that's how I picture Thomas here. Wait, Jesus, we don't really understand where you're going. And we'd like to know more about where this is, what, what's going to happen here. They're all focused on this. It's why they're worked up and bothered. And then Jesus says this wonderful, another beautiful I am statement, really the rich culmination of his teachings to them over the past three years. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He does not only, in describing himself as the way here, show the way to eternal life as the only way. But he describes himself here as the way. He is the way, the very link between God and sinners. Folks, you can't divide Jesus from a relationship with God. There are religions today and some cults that would ascribe to the fact that they have a relationship with God, with the God, the creator of the universe, with the God, uh, the, the, the one true God, so to speak but they would deny Jesus Christ. You can't do that. Jesus makes it very clear as he continues to talk to his disciples here. <laughs> belief in the Father is belief in the Son. And he is the only way to the Father. Do you remember, let's think of some of the past um, passages that, that where Jesus has begun to indicate some of these truths. He didn't quite say he was the way, but close. Remember John 10, 9? I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Ultimately, he's saying there, I'm the way, I'm the door. Then he says here, I am the truth. Remember some other passages where this was indicated? All the way back in the first chapter of John. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 5, 33 he sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. He bear witness of Jesus as the truth. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And now Jesus again reminds them, you know the truth. It's me. I am the truth. I am perfectly reliable as the truth. Remember, he's the word. He's the very expression of the truth of God. He is the truth, folks, and he's the life. Not only that he provides life, but he is true, real life. You haven't lived until you've served Jesus Christ. He gives true life. 
And that shouldn't be a surprise to us all the way back in John 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 3, 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He also said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. That one out of the three should be the most familiar to us. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the link to God. I'm the truth. I'm perfectly reliable. Everything that I say is truth. And I am the life. I am true life. And I will provide eternal life to my people. Another comment from a, a commentator, uh, Morris. Jesus is asserting in the strong terms, the strongest terms, the uniqueness and the sufficiency of his work for sinners. We should not overlook the faith involved both in the utterance and the acceptance of those words spoken as they were on the eve of the crucifixion. And I appreciated this perspective. I am the way, said the one who would shortly hang seemingly powerless on a cross. I am the truth. When the lies of evil people were about to enjoy a spectacular, spectacular triumph. And I am the life when within a matter of hours, his very corpse would be placed in a tomb. Jesus is calling these men to faith, to believe his words in the events that are about to take place. And he will help them with that. Again, then verse seven. Um, oh, he begins at, he, uh, let's emphasize at the end of verse six, no man cometh unto the father, but by me. Again, Jesus is the only way. There is no other way to the Father. And so many folks that you get in conversations with that follow religious religion and that seek after God. That, in a nutshell, is what they need to hear. No man cometh unto the Father but through Jesus. Folks, that's what we proclaim. It's through Jesus alone. There's no other hope. Jesus makes that clear here. And then he reminds them. Maybe there's a little bit of reproof here. Verse 7, if ye had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth, ye know him and have seen him. Now, he's just said to them, you know the way. But now he says, if you had known me. Well, which one is it, Jesus? Which one? Um, it, do they either know you or, or they don't know you? Well, they know Jesus to a certain extent. What Jesus is pointing out here, folks, is that they have not attained a fuller knowledge. And probably he's referring as well here, they should have known at this point more than what they did. But a fuller knowledge of his true significance. Because if they understood that, they'd have a better understanding of the Father and the mission for which he sent his Son. They remain dull, but they won't continue to be that way. Jesus gives them hope in this too. Even in their dullness, they don't understand still to this point the relationship and the deep significance of his relationship with Father, with the Father and what he's about to do. They will. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Well, how is that possible? Because they're going to see through their personal experience of Jesus' death and resurrection and then the work of the Spirit in their own lives the Spirit will show them as they look back on all this, and they will gain that fuller understanding, and they will go out and proclaim it to the world that needs it. They're still, they don't have full understanding. Thomas says, we don't even understand what you mean by wh where are you going? Jesus says, I know. You don't have the understanding that, that you should have, but you will. Just trust in me. 
believe in me. Philip gets really inspired at this point. Obviously, the disciples are really hanging on every word here. And he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Philip um, here is responding with enthusiasm. Lord, that, that would be all we would ever want. And maybe he's thinking here of a display of glory that Moses experienced. When Moses asked to see the Lord and the Lord showed him his glory from, from his back, and you understand all that, we won't get into that today. Maybe that's what Philip's experiencing. Oh, Jesus, if you could show us the Father, that we, we'd be satisfied. We'd be happy with that. And Jesus, grieved in his heart, responds, Have I been so long a time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? That's in verse 9 here. Jesus is grieved at the dullness of his followers. And he's going to point out through the rest of this passage that gospel ministry only comes through the work of the Son. The work of the Son points to belief in the Father, and these men still don't get it. And Jesus is grieved in this. He says, He that hath seen me, the end of verse 9, hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in, and listen to the, the depth of these words, I am in the Father, and the Father in me. This is something, this is more direct than Jesus has ever been about his own deity. And this is, this is deep, folks. And yet we can understand this through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, that Jesus is in, actually in the Father. And the Father is in the Son. How is that possible? Amazing truth. The deity of Christ, he's reflecting here. Yes, there's in the Trinity, there's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they're one God. And as long as we reflect on this throughout our lives, we'll never fully understand the beauty of this. But we have to believe it regardless. And we have heard throughout this gospel, have we not, Jesus talk about his relationship with the Father. Sometimes even as we go through this passage and I continue to bring that up, you might think, okay, I understand. I understand that Jesus has a unique relationship with his Father. Um, I understand that he is God. And, you know, do we have to continue to talk about it so much? Jesus would have talked about this a lot with his disciples, even more than what's included in the Gospel of John. Is it overkill? No, because they still don't get it. After all that teaching, they still don't understand. And then, folks, in one aspect, as much as we reflect on the deity, on the Trinity, and the Father being in the Son, and the Son being in the Father, <laughs> we'll never fully get that. We'll never fully understand, but we need to believe it because we can trust the words of Jesus. Um, continue on verse 10. Uh, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. We would have expected Jesus to say something like this. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he speaketh those words. But he doesn't say that. He says, he doeth the works. What does Jesus mean here? 
he's pointing out and he's understanding that this would be hard for his followers to comprehend. And so he's saying, as believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. But if that's hard, if you're struggling with that, believe the works that I do. The works that I have done, all of the miracles show the power of the Father in me. It is a reflection of this truth that the Father is in me, that I'm able to do these miracles. So if you have a hard time believing and comprehending this truth about my relationship with the Father, at the very least, believe the works. And he says, verse 11, believe me that I am in my Father and the Father in me, or else Believe me for the very work's sake. The work of the Son points to belief in the Father. He's calling them to believe, regardless of whether they fully comprehend. Uh, I'm sure many of you have enjoyed over the years um, reading C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. We've been working through that as a family. The boys have enjoyed. I, I had the privilege of reading them all the series together, and we've listened to the audio book. Um, adventures now as well. And I was thinking back, they were listening to one just this week as I was studying for this. And I was reminded of the first book that, that was written first um, called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, probably the one that we're most familiar with. And remember, the plot of the story is that Lucy ends up in the wardrobe and she ends up in a land, a, a mysterious, um, fantastical land where she meets a fawn and all these different things happen to her. And uh, she um, ends up back in the house and trying to explain this to her brothers and sisters who really, she's never lied to them before, but the very, the fantastic nature of what she's explaining to them, they think she's insane. And so eventually they go to the owner of the house, the professor, Peter and Susan, the two oldest, and they, they, explain to him their concerns for their little sister. And he points out, he says, has she had the been in the habit of always telling the truth? Well, yes, she has in the past. And he said, a charge of lying against someone you have always found truthful is a very serious thing indeed. You know she doesn't tell lies. And it is obvious that she is not mad or insane. Then we must assume she is telling the truth. In a much more deep and sobering way, the disciples are called upon to believe in the truth of what Jesus is telling them, even if they can't get their minds around it. It's true. Believe. Believe the works. And then Jesus is going to do wonderful things through them. And here's another aspect of the hope as we finish up this morning and prepare for communion. Verse 12, verily, verily. Remember, that's Jesus saying, listen carefully. This is of the utmost truth. I am the truth. I'm about to tell you truth. He that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Well, think about the works that Jesus has done. Water turned to wine, the multiplication of the food, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. How can those be topped? How can we do anything greater? How could these disciples do anything greater than what Jesus has already done? What in the world is Jesus saying here? Jesus is pointing to through his death and resurrection, they will experience this at some point, and through the work of the Spirit, that they will be enabled to do greater work, and that greater work 
is the widespread reach of the gospel. Not greater in power. It's not their own power. They won't have greater power than Jesus, but greater reach of the gospel. Literally thousands more would trust the gospel and trust in Christ rather than what, what happened in his earthly ministry. But it wouldn't be their power that that would take place. But it would be through the power of Jesus working through them and greater results in that regard and spread of the gospel and the truth of Christ than even during Christ's earthly ministries. We are Christ's agents simply here to carry out his work. And God can work powerfully through us too. Where does it begin? It begins by dependence and prayer. When we pray with an accordance of the gospel mission, folks, we are guaranteed that Jesus will work. Maybe not in the way we demand of him. Don't demand of him to work in a specific way. But he will work when we pray and ask for his help in gospel ministry. And always, here we begin to have that theme of worship, always with the goal of glorifying God. Let's look at these last verses here. Um, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall do he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. He will go to his Father. He will send the Spirit, and gospel ministry will increase. But, verse 13, make sure, whatsoever you ask in my name, make sure you pray and ask him. And he will do it. Why? What's the result? Here we have worship. The Father may be glorified in the Son. Yes, folks, we even worship God through discipleship, through evangelistic ministry. When you share the gospel, you're giving God glory and worship. You see how all-encompassing worship is in this? And then he repeats himself, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that doesn't mean anything you've always desired, my heart's desire in a fleshly sense. But the more we grow in our knowledge of Jesus and our knowledge of who he is, folks, it's amazing that our desires become more like his desires. And we desire people to be saved and we desire the gospel to spread. And in that case, then, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, through my power, I will do it in the context of gospel ministry. And that we have freedom to ask all that we want. Lord, help me to be a better witness to my neighbor. Lord, help me to be a better witness to my coworker. Lord, honestly, help us, help me to be, even be aware that there's people around me because sometimes I'm so burdened and I have so much going on. I forget that there's even people around me. Help me to acknowledge that. Help me to take advantage of that. Will Jesus answer that prayer? He will be glad to answer that prayer. And the ministry, even today, folks, powerful gospel ministry that we can have will be great. Do you believe him? Do you believe the truth of what he says? He will enable that to take place. There's only one way to eternal life with the Father. It's through the Son. He is our only way, our only truth, and our only life. So what do we do? Trust him. Folks, don't be troubled. And whatever dark things you or I are facing, don't let it overwhelm you. Serve God faithfully and see, experience what powerful gospel ministry he will do through you. We're going to take, as I pray now, just a couple minutes as well um, to prepare our hearts for the communion service next. 
And then we're going to have um, some quick scripture readings and we'll do this together. But just an opportunity now to, as I pray, to prepare your hearts for the communion service that's taking place next. Lord, thank you for the reminder of all that you promise, hopeful, wonderful promises for your own, that you are even now preparing a place for us. And Lord, even as we remember what you've done for us in this communion, as sobering as that is, give us joy in the fact that because of your sacrifice, your death on the cross, the sacrifice of your body, the shedding of your blood, we have eternal dwelling with God. And we can be empowered to share you and proclaim your name to others. And that is glorious. Lord, we also come before you now, realizing that through this week, we have surely been stained. And we have things that we have partaken in, perhaps, that we need to ask forgiveness of and just prepare our hearts. And so we do that, Lord. We even now ask that you would forgive those things as you bring them to mind that would keep us from right relationship with you, that would keep our consciences from enjoying and experiencing this communion, this Lord's table, even now. We know that you provide forgiveness, and so we repent of those things, and I pray that our hearts would be ready and would be prepared for this glorious time where we remember all that Jesus has done for us. And this we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.